When most of us think of scuba diving, we think of heading out into the ocean. You might think about the eerie beauty of footage filmed along the ocean floor, or maybe even of risk seekers who are looking for hidden treasures on boats that met their fate at the hands of a violent sea. But what if I told you that you don't need to go into the ocean at all to go scuba diving? What if there are inland adventures to be had? What if I told you that in Florida, there's a location filled with dangerous caves that divers regularly explore? Now, what if I told you that the caves might not be the most dangerous thing in the area? My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In this episode, we're going to talk about a place called Vortex Spring and the mysterious circumstances surrounding the death of Ben McDaniel, a skilled diver that disappeared in 2010 and has never been found. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, wait, it's not Wednesday. And you're right, it's not. But this week, I decided to shake things up a little bit. You know, because week one was a little too boring, I guess. So this week, I'm giving you two episodes instead of just one. It won't happen every week, but every once in a while, I'll try to slip in an extra episode for you guys. Now back to business. Ben McDaniel was a 30-year-old man from Memphis, Tennessee. Though he is often shown smiling in pictures, it is hard to deny that this man was sorely lacking in luck. Ironically born on tax day, this Tennessee native was no stranger to hard times. Before his disappearance, he was struggling in more than a few ways. His marriage had ended in an unpleasant divorce, his construction business had failed, and most recently, his younger brother had passed away from a stroke. Given the fact that his brother was only 22, this was a particularly big shock for the family. Ben McDaniel was no stranger to money. Raised by wealthy parents, it only made sense for him to return home when everything around him fell apart. Lucky for Ben, mom and dad were more than happy to help him while he focused on healing. When he was 15 years old, he developed an interest in scuba diving. It was something that he was passionate about, and he could be found practicing it in the family pool. Perhaps spurred on by memories of his childhood in the pool, Ben had a preference for freshwater diving. But don't be deceived. Ben's interest in freshwater diving wasn't just him spending time in the local lakes. As an adult, his interest drifted towards a very specific location, Vortex Spring. Vortex Spring is a recreation area located in Florida. The area is known for its impressive freshwater diving area, which draws visitors from all around the world. This space is known for its exciting and interesting sights below the surface, but it is most commonly known for one feature in particular, the caves. For the most part, Vortex Spring is open to divers of all experience levels. They even offer diving classes that teach new divers how to scuba dive safely, and new divers can even train to explore the cave systems on their own. But the area has a bit of a reputation. About 20 years before Ben's disappearance, the state of Florida almost shut the area down because too many divers died while exploring the caves down below. Eager to keep the space open, Vortex Spring opened a cave diving course and an accompanying certification to explore some of the more complicated cave systems below. They even went so far as to put a gate along the entrance to the more advanced cave system. Only certified divers had access to the cave, which is one particular point of scrutiny for this case. According to the on-site staff, Ben was let in through the gate alone by a staff member. The only problem is that Ben wasn't certified. After he was let into the cave system, Ben was never seen again. 
And while many just assumed that he was a lost diver, the story starts to get a little bit more bizarre the more that you learn. For the most part, the case was treated like a standard diving disappearance. Volunteer divers went out searching for Ben, even going so far as to explore some of the deeper parts of the cave system. No one could find him, but his parents were convinced that he was down there. They kept offering rewards and begging for divers to explore deeper and deeper. This was further supported by the fact that cadaver dogs took a special interest in the surface of the water. As a general fun fact, cadaver dogs can actually smell a body in the air surrounding the water, and experts believe that they can get a much better read on the situation if they actually taste the water as well. Basically, the closer to the water a dog can get, the more likely they are to find you. But they did not find a body. And when the water was tested for a decomposing body, because apparently that kind of fun, family-friendly science exists, it also came back negative. Further research into the potential cave disappearance showed some interesting footage of Ben. Divers reportedly saw Ben scoping out the entrance to the deeper caves on the day of his disappearance. He was seen spending time by the spring, jotting down notes in his dive log. Some people believed that he was planning something, and a later discovery of extra tanks placed within the cave seemed to match this theory. Later that evening, after 7pm, he went for another dive equipped with all of his gear and a few lights. He was never seen again. A lot of the divers agree that there was no way for Ben's body to be hidden in any of the areas that were searched. Some believe that he wasn't in the cave at all. Others think that the water swept him away to a watery grave deep beneath the surface of the earth, never to be seen again. Despite the fact that one diver even explained that Ben was physically too large to fit into the deeper parts, his family continued to push. They did this until, tragically, one of the divers that was looking for Ben actually died during the search. After it became fairly clear that Ben likely wasn't in the caves, things started to get even more weird. If he wasn't in the caves, then where was he? Was everyone wrong? Did he find a way to go deeper than anyone before him? More importantly, was that something that he would even do by himself? People began to speculate, and one prominent theory emerged. This theory was presented by and perpetuated by Lowell Kelly, the owner of Vortex Spring. He knew Ben fairly well, and he believed that Ben faked his own death to get a fresh start. The majority of us have had some fun making plans if we ever faked our death. It's impossible to come across a story where someone might have done it and not think, hmm, what would I do? Sure, the idea of a fresh start is tantalizing, but would anyone really do it? The gravity of faking your own death is a lot more intense than movies make it out to be. I actually think that one of the best examples that I've ever seen of this was in Cirque de Freak by Darren Shan, where they openly show the experience of pretending to be dead and hearing your loved ones mourn your loss around you. It's heartbreaking, and according to McDaniel's parents, he would never do anything like that to them, especially not after the loss of his brother. So what would make Kelly perpetuate this rumor? And what reasoning could he possibly give for it? We already discussed the fact that Ben's life wasn't going well, but was it really enough to convince him to fake his own death? Well, the justification isn't actually all that crazy. Not only was Ben at a bad point in his life, not only did his marriage end, Ben was also in a bit of financial trouble. 
Ben McDaniel owed the government roughly $50,000 in tax debt, and they wanted their money. The money situation does add an interesting development to the missing persons case. I think we can all agree. Maybe Ben had a plan to fake his death and start fresh on an island where he could scuba dive all day every day. But what about his grieving parents? What about the girlfriend he left behind? And what about all the plans he made for his future? Would he really leave it all behind to start fresh? Lowell Kelly seemed to think so. But some people think that Kelly might be a huge suspect for this reason. There are two prominent theories surrounding Lowell Kelly and Ben's disappearance. The first one involves every business owner's worst nightmare, public relations. Several people believe that Ben did die in those caves, and they also believe that Kelly had him fished out and disposed of. Why? To protect the precious reputation of Vortex Spring. If authorities learned that Vortex Spring was not enforcing the diving certificate requirement, they could be in a lot of trouble. So instead of allowing Ben's family to mourn, some people believe that Kelly made him disappear so that the area could never be blamed. And believe me when I say that this is actually the friendlier theory surrounding Kelly. To understand the other theory, we need to talk a little bit about Lowell Kelly. As it turns out, the owner of Vortex Spring wasn't exactly a friendly guy. In fact, he was kind of a mean guy. He was kind of a bad guy. After Ben's disappearance, Kelly was formally charged for driving one of his employees out into nature and beating them with a baseball bat. As you can imagine, this story isn't really a hit for the families who visit Vortex Spring to learn how to scuba dive with their little ones, or anybody who just wants to camp in the area. A lot of us get angry with people, and to Kelly's credit, a lot of us would be a little peeved if someone stole, say, $30,000 from us. But most of us don't get so mad that we drive someone out to a secluded road, confront them, and beat them with a baseball bat. All Kelly had to do was call the cops, but he decided to deliver his own justice, and he didn't even dispute the charge in court. <laughs> I don't know about you, but the kind of people who beat other people with baseball bats are the kind of people that I would like to avoid. But... Ben did not avoid Kelly, and a lot of people think that Kelly either killed Ben himself or was connected to his death in some way. You know how Ben owed the government 50 grand? Well, some people think that he might have gotten involved with the wrong crowd to settle his debts. In fact, his parents even hired a personal investigator to look into the situation for this reason. Kelly was the right kind of wrong crowd for Ben to stumble upon, and if he was willing to beat someone with a baseball bat over $30,000, how much would he hurt someone over, say, $50,000? And who's to say that Ben wasn't in a bad state in general and owed Kelly some money on top of that? For a long time, a lot of people, including Ben's parents, believed that Kelly was responsible. But something happened that made them think that there might be more to the story. Lowell Kelly died. The circumstances surrounding Kelly's death are dodgy at best. According to those who knew him, he was kicking it with friends and getting pretty hammered. While drunk, he fell and he hit his head. According to those that were questioned, he seemed fine. So 
Someone took him home and they laid him in bed. Not worrying about him at all. For unknown reasons. Kelly never woke up. And it is believed that he died from blunt force trauma to the head. (laughs) There are some fairly specific circumstances that would permit death by blunt force trauma as the cause of death and not raise any flags. And... If this story seems a little sketchy to you, you aren't alone. The weirdest part is that it was never followed up on. No one was really questioned about it. It wasn't investigated. It was never even disclosed who took Kelly home and placed him in bed. By all official records, Kelly died by accident. But what if there's more to the story? some people believe that Kelly did not die by accident. Now, I can't imagine why. It sounds totally normal and plausible. Um, But there is a lasting theory that Kelly was killed because he knew too much about Ben's disappearance and could be a liability. This change in the narrative had quite an influence on the potential murder story surrounding Ben. Suddenly, Kelly who was once believed to be the ringleader, looked like more of an accomplice than anything. A lot of people still believe that Ben owed someone money or got involved with a bad crowd, but no one really knows who could be pulling the strings. What could be worth killing two people over? Was it just money, or was it something else? I think we can all agree that this case is definitely weird, but a few more details from the story make it infinitely more suspicious. Remember those divers that saw Ben and let him in without his certification? Well, those divers were two of Kelly's employees, and according to everyone who knew them, they would never leave the area until the last diver surfaced. So, why did they leave Ben that night? More importantly, how did the team fail to notice that Ben's car was sitting in their parking lot in clear sight for two days after his disappearance? They knew him, he wasn't a stranger, and his vehicle was recognizable. This suspicious behavior raised a few eyebrows, and a lot of people think that those two were paid off by somebody. But who? Did Ben pay them to let him break the rules? Did Kelly pay them to cover up Ben drowning? Did someone pay them to claim that they interacted with Ben even though they hadn't to cover up a murder? The police had some questions and they decided to use a classic method, a lie detector test. I'm not sure if you have ever taken a lie detector test before, but in my biological psychology class, all of our labs were focused on biometrics. Now, being who I am, I took this class as an opportunity to have a little fun. So for my final, I strapped people up to all kinds of sensors and I made them watch movie trailers in different genres in order to get a reading on their response to certain kinds of media. My theory was that horror trailers would elicit the highest level of response. While I was technically right, the results were, tragically, not scientifically significant. However, in that class, I also had to take and administer a lie detector test that relied on several different physiological responses. And I learned a few things. First, when you administer these tests, you have to establish a baseline. To do this, you begin by asking questions you know the answer to that are true. You might ask someone their name or how old they are, 
this will show you what their brain looks like when they tell the truth. This is important because biometric readings are based on the body's activity, and when you are being questioned by police, there is a tendency to experience a degree of panic, which usually makes your readings more intense than usual. With this, you can separate I'm lying nerves from general nerves. In the experiment, we also intentionally ask people to lie in order to get a baseline for lying. We might have them agree with a false statement. You can say the words, but your body still knows the difference a lot of the time. However, it should also be stated that these things are notoriously inaccurate. You can beat a lie detector test, especially if you're a really bad person and you have no qualms about what is and isn't true. And while they might not be that reliable, something really weird happened with the lie detector test for one of the employees. One of them was only asked three questions. Now, I know you're upset. You're horrified. Who would allow for such poor and inaccurate science? That, friends, is the question. And it might just hold all the answers to what really happened to Ben McDaniel. Unfortunately, those answers are still unknown. Now, like many true crime lovers, I grew up watching hours of Investigation Discovery. And if there's one thing Investigation Discovery is good for, it's the drama. You know, when you watch or listen to enough true crime, everyone becomes a suspect. And I was fairly surprised to see a lack of one specific theory with this case. The theory that his ex-wife might have been involved somehow. Generally, when someone goes missing or is believed to have been killed, people are quick to jump on spouses or ex-spouses. In this case, there was nothing. I'm not saying that his former wife had anything to do with the case, but I found it really interesting that she hadn't been questioned on the matter, particularly since Ben was getting pretty serious with a new girlfriend when he vanished. So, if you're out there researching the case, and you spot anything about a potential crime of passion, I would love to hear what you find. Ben's parents still aren't satisfied with his case, and I'm fairly sure most of us aren't. As they continue to work with their own investigators, if they are still investigating at all, it will be interesting to see what we learn. On paper, Ben was just another diver that has been claimed by the water, but I don't know if I believe that. Thank you for joining me for this completely suspicious case. I don't know much about scuba diving, but if nothing else, my research has taught me that you should always go with a trained professional. And hey, maybe avoid any shady characters in the area too. If you were interested in being a part of the Say No to Nature community, feel free to join me on Twitter or Instagram with the tag at datpod. That is Among the Dirt and Trees podcast, but with letters. For insider extras and a little extra community engagement, head over to my Patreon at patreon.com slash like and inscribe. Thanks, guys.